Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the View from the Nest podcast, where Paul and I talk about all things IndexCorp and crypto in general. I'm AG, a community contributor to the Corp. And as always, I'm joined by Paul, who does quite a few things for the Corp as well and is a full-time contributor. How, how are you doing, Paul? Yep, I'm very good. Uh, at the time that we're recording this, the market has just seen a bit of a shock sell-off. I don't tend to zoom in more than like on the daily level on the chart. So uh, I'm just sitting comfortably watching everybody panic at the moment. But um, yeah, I'm not too bad overall. How about you? Yeah, I think uh, as long as you didn't see that Kraken flash crash that took ETH from 1750 to like 750. Yeah, in, what happened there? Like, I have no idea. I just saw the chart and it looks horrible. Like. I hope some people had like a limit buy at, at 800 <laughs> just, just for fun. But I know some people were doing that after a couple of uh, flash crashes in, in 17 and, and I think 18, uh, like setting very, very low um, buy limit orders. So, so is Kraken I, the new BitMEX, is it? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. But, uh, and, and quite a few centralized exchanges were, were down as well. I think... Uh, Binance also said that they're not they're freezing, not freezing, but um, not supporting ETH withdrawals and so on. And it's it's quite fascinating the whole conversation about you know Binance Smart Chain and uh, centralized nature of it um, and kind of Ethereum and, and permissionless blockchains and kind of how those two overlap, right? And and how with 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 high gas prices, how that affects. Of the landscape, yeah. I mean, after the sort of Reddit GameStop debacle, I thought that uh, being able to say DeFi was the answer was was great. But um, actually, looking at it, <laughs> when we have market volatility in crypto, the centralized exchanges break, um, and then gas price goes through the roof. I think we saw upwards of twelve hundred guay today. So um, it's actually not possible to trade and <laughs> anywhere unless you're extremely wealthy. Yeah, or or unless you are on on L two, like half capital actually sitting on L two, but for me the problem is that the actual DeFi ecosystem on L twos is not built out right. So the only thing you could do is have your capital sitting there, which is not something we like to do in in DeFi where you can what uh, easily earn earn yield on on your capital to sort of have it just sitting there is a bit of a no-go. Like it's a, it's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. I guess we're, we're doing our best to facilitate that with the, the loop bring incentives. Um, so it's not like people don't have the option if they want to put DPI over there, but like you say, yeah, it's not as productive to do that. So um, not as many people choosing to do that. I think speaking of leverage, that probably takes us nicely onto our first item on the newsletter this week, which was that the flexible leverage index has reached decision, decision gate two, which means index holders are able to vote on whether they would like to launch this product or not. And you had a chat with Scott Lewis, didn't you? And, and talked through in a bit more detail about um, the fly index and, and how it all works, the mechanisms, the mechanisms behind it. Yeah, yeah. So as of right now, I think there is still a couple of hours left on the vote, but it looks like uh, 99 percent support 
and uh, we have reached quorum on it. So it looks like we're moving forward with that. And uh, yeah, we, we did uh, chat to uh, to Scott about the index and the mechanics, and it's it's quite it's quite interesting. I think what I, what I didn't realize before is the whole minting process, right? Where you actually end up with the fly token and USDC and and kind of how that all works and then the yeah the, like the leverage so yeah it was it was quite fascinating because i think if if you read the medium or if you read the material you you have a one idea of how this this would work but it actually is not how it works right in terms of like the minting process and the interaction with with compound but if you just bind fly on on a dex then yeah you you basically getting on average a 2x exposure which, which is great i think we've seen kind of the emergence of uh, of of sort of leverage yield farming and and leverage trading opportunities so this this could this could could have a really good product market fit yeah would have been a good test to see how it held up over the last 24 hours but um We'll wait for the next flash crash to, to decide that. It was interesting for me listening in on that call as well, because as you say, I mean, the first time that I realized that you'd actually be getting um, stable coins back was, was when Scott mentioned it. But then that helped me understand why there was conversation around some really clever things that you can do in terms of um, liquidity provision with this token and uh, putting in like a 33% fly or 66% fly which I can't remember which way around it was, but uh, putting basically your tokens against stable coins and then mitigating your impermanent loss through that. Yeah, I think that was, that was a, as it relates to sort of balancer. And if you have basically because Fly is a 2x ETH, right, on average. Um, so if you have a 33% Fly, 66% ETH liquidity pool, Right, because 33% fly is a 2x, so it's effectively a 66% ETH, right? So you basically have um, the same amount of ETH on both sides of the pair. So, and because of that, you have no permanent loss in the pool. So you get leverage exposure and, and you collect trading fees on that pool, which is great. I think it's a great, it's a great way to get uh, ETH exposure, but it would be interesting to see how it behaves in, 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 in times of market volatility, like like what we like what we see today, like that, I think that that would be an interesting dynamic, interesting test for it. Yeah, uh, for me personally, I think it's something that I'll I'll have a play around with when it launches, just to make sure I really understand exactly how it works and, and figure out what all the dynamics are. Um, another thing that we looked at in the past week is another one of your BD integrations with Premier. Um, can you tell us a bit more about what we've done with those guys? Yeah, so the idea is basically that decentralized on-chain derivatives are quite important for for the index space, right? Because a lot of indices in traditional finance, whether you want to do, for example, a volatility index, uh, that that involves derivatives, right? That involves options, futures, combination of the two. So if we want to sort of evolve beyond um, kind of more traditional, uh, more straightforward indices in the crypto space, we need developed on-chain options and futures market. And so that's that's something that 
I hope sort of evolves over over 2021 and, and we can actually start building like market neutral and volatility uh, strategies. It, it's interesting, right? Because I'm not sure how you would price that because for example, let's say it's a volatility strategy, right? For, uh, for crypto, whether it's ETH or BTC or, or DPI for that matter. Like, obviously, if you can bet that there's going to be a lot of volatility in the market, right? Like that, that's a pretty good bet in, in crypto. So that the price to make that bet would have to be rather high because if it wasn't, then anyone would be making it. So it's interesting. So yeah, with, with that in mind, we've um, we had a chat with a team over at Premium Finance and uh, got DPI listed on their options platform. They're doing a few interesting things, uh, specifically using the ERC-1155 standard for options, which is usually the standard that's been used for NFTs. And there are some benefits to that. Uh, so yeah, we, we're quite excited about that. And, and I think in general, kind of being involved and, and getting DPI integrated on various uh, derivative pr- platforms uh, is something we are looking at. Cool. So it sounds like you're thinking in terms of like the far future as well then, whereas right now we're just looking to get individual products onto these um, platforms. But thinking about the partnerships and the the actual trading of these products themselves, it sounds like you're thinking in the future, this is what's going to help us launch those more complicated products and, and like a volatility index, for example. Yeah, it's definitely, this is something that enables uh, these types of uh, market neutral volatility and, and other, other strategies, right? You can also do a leverage strategy through derivatives and you can do passive income strategies through, through options, for example. So, yeah, I think going forward and, and I don't know if it's a 2021 thing or if it's kind of further, further out, but these indices will, will definitely come to, to DeFi and they will be enabled through, through derivatives and just keeping, keeping our tabs on the space and talking to different teams and understanding what's happening in the in the derivatives land i think is is uh is important absolutely yeah so it'll be really interesting to see how as the index co-op um like one of our goals is to make finance more accessible how we make these options um and future like volatility products simplified and understandable for for users you know everywhere in DeFi. another thing that we talked about this week is whether or not to diversify the treasury so index has had a good run recently. It's um, against ETH and USD. Um, and a lot of people were mentioning that perhaps we should diversify away from index into something more stable. I had a look at the, the numbers between index and, and ETH and sure enough, index is really far up the, the risk curve in comparison. So it does make sense to take some off the table and move it into a, a more stable asset um, as Somebody on the forum pointed out it's quite funny that we live in a, a place where or a time where diversifying into ETH is seen as like a, a hedge basically as, uh, against volatility. But um, yeah, it does make sense in terms of the numbers. There's some good discussion on the forum around the proposal. Uh, we've discussed it on the weekly calls and uh, further in the Discord. Um, and overall, I think that the majority, once we answered some, some of the open questions, the majority were in favor of doing that. So the poll is now closed and it will just be a case of the Treasury Committee 
using some of our index tokens to, uh, to make that trade effectively. And what we're going to look to do, because we've had some over-the-counter trade requests from some, some larger whales effectively, is do as much of that trade over-the-counter as we can, because then we minimize the market impact. Um, and yeah, where this really fits into the overall strategy of what we're trying to do with the Treasury. We are looking to launch the Smart Treasury Balancer Pool very soon. And having this 200k worth of ETH in our back pocket means that after the three-month trial of the Smart Treasury, we've got an amount of ETH that's ready to go to scale that Smart Pool up. And we don't have to worry too much if uh, index has dropped off in price against ETH by that point. Yeah, I think it's also worth sort of thinking about, you know, if we are diversifying the treasury to minimize volatility, then I think like a stable coin would be a better fit for that, right? But because we have a, a more holistic and overarching treasury strategy uh, that doesn't work with a stable coin, right? When, so when it comes to smart treasury, we, we need ETH, we want ETH. And from kind of our perspective, ETH does do a job for us in terms of limiting the volatility and, and providing some of those diversifying benefits when comparing to the index token. So I think if we just focus on the goal of minimizing volatility, then you know maybe we'd come up with a different answer. But in, in the bigger scheme of thing, things, it, it's really uh, ETH is a, is, a, is a better way for us to go. And, and Paul, maybe you can sort of touch a little bit on, because you are, you are on the treasury committee, so maybe you can uh, give some insight into how you guys think about the kind of medium and longer term the treasury strategy for index. Yeah, I think it's, it's quite an interesting subject. And uh, given the way most people are in crypto, I think everybody, if you asked everybody in the community, they'd have a different answer. So it's going to be a case of trying to figure out a strategy that sort of that does a bit of everything and, and, like looking at things holistically. So what you've just said about this initial proposal was, was absolutely right. So the reason for moving into ETH is because that's going to allow us to scale up the smart treasury. And um, this is only a short term and small scale diversification. It's only 200K and our treasury, depending on what the index price is, but recently it's been hovering between 25 and $30 million in value. So yeah, this was only like a short term move. And as you say, linked partly to reduce that volatility, but also because we know we want the smart treasury um, coming up in the future. So more generally and, and longer term, I think that's something that I'm looking to get more people involved in thinking about. Um, we have kicked off a, a couple of different discussions and, and documents around how we're going to do it. There's also, I mean, the main thing for me is that there's going to be this crossover. So where we're at today, we have only just launched and we've got very minimal streaming fees coming in from our products. And on the flip side of that, we've got a huge allocation of index tokens, which gives us this massive amount of firepower. And I guess the temptation is just to spend all of that. But that totally misses the point of decentralizing our community via these governance tokens. So while we can use them for you know, expanding getting listed on centralized exchanges, other growth experiments that we've been doing. The, the main thing that we really want to do is draw down our, our community treasury over time, mainly possibly for, for governance rewards, because obviously we govern ourselves and we have the, the meta governance of the underlying products as well. So for the index token, one of its main 
reasons for being is for governance. So it makes a great deal of sense then to incentivize that and make sure that we do it really, really well. So there's going to be this crossover as the index gets drawn down and given out and decentralized out into the community to, to a number of different holders. And at the same time, we're growing our fees and we want to manage the tr transition there between paying for our growth and our overheads and our contributors via the streaming fees income rather than via index tokens. Yeah, so it's an interesting conversation. And I'm quite glad that we as a community are having it and have been having it for the last couple of months, I would say. And it's fascinating to me how sort of it all comes together with like smart treasury and governance mining and some of the other initiatives and, and how it all sort of forms the broader token economics roadmap, right, for, for the index token. And yeah, and that, to me, that, that's, that's quite interesting. It's sort of a, a new system that, that we're trying to develop and, and see it all come together. Yeah, I think we've got all the pieces now, obviously the smart treasury, the governance mining, as you, as you mentioned, and we're generating income and that's only going to get bigger and bigger as we, you know, today we launch coin shares, we've got potential for a metaverse index, we've got the flyers we talked about, you know, the, all of this stuff is coming on stream. And uh, when you combine all of this together, then it, it's kind of obvious where it all goes, but figuring out the nuance and the detail of that. And, and when we have engineering resource to actually build this stuff out, like managing it is actually really quite difficult. But yeah, as you say, it's, it's been great in terms of like community engagement and uh, the way that people think about it and, and drawing on different people's experiences and ideas to kind of nail everything down. It's, it's not going to be something that we just flip a switch and it's all solved. But um, yeah, over the next few months, I see it all sort of coming together and hopefully being really positive for index holders. That's the main thing. Absolutely. Agree with you. What's, uh, I think we have uh, one more subject on, on the newsletter. Yeah, it was just an excuse for me to use the uh, over 9,000 meme, basically. So we've got over 9,000 DPI holders now. Um, last time it was checked on June, we were actually over 12,000 wallets holding DPI. So huge growth, really, in the last couple of months. Um, it's just fantastic to see it, really. DPI is obviously the flagship product for us to index co-op and we've put a lot of effort into getting the word out there and we're not even finished yet that's the great thing about it is that yeah we've got Dex liquidity and people have heard of it and it's kind of starting to be used as the benchmark now for how DeFi is performing but there's still a ways that we can go with it um, listing on centralized exchanges getting these integrations elsewhere in DeFi uh, like on Maker and Aave we still haven't completely hit all of like the big names yet so yeah it's just really exciting to see and and i think there's still a long way that we can go with it absolutely yeah there's there's definitely a lot of potential a lot of things still to come and quite excited about all the other products that, that we're launching that will sort of take us to the next level uh, that, that sort of concludes our newsletter but you and i have been chatting about nfts uh just just before we started recording what's uh i know you've been keen to buy into some punks and so on but uh you've been complaining about how expensive they are so what's uh what's your current stance on uh, on nfts yeah i was gonna try and defend myself there but i have just been complaining so uh, yeah <laughs> my current stance is overpriced um this is probably quite embarrassing to admit but i did try and buy a bull run babe if you've seen those it's another blue kirby i don't know if this is like pre-watershed radio but basically it's a blue kirby clusterfuck and 
it launched, uh, everything went down. They got it all back up and running again. And I managed to click the purchase button. And then my transaction got stuck along with a, another couple of hundred people's transactions. And something to do with their Oracle meant that it didn't, um, it didn't generate a random number for those. So it meant that loads of us were left without our bull run babes. And we got refunds and that's it. I haven't touched it since. So I think I kind of was one of those people um, and I have a bit of track record for this because I got into crypto like November, 2017. I kind of come in once the hype is built and then buy something really stupid and then regret it. Um, so that's where I'm at with it now, kind of waiting for a pullback. There's possibly going to be a bear market in, in that space. And I know you have your thoughts on that. Um, if we hit a bit of a downturn generally. So uh, I'll be looking to buy some things, probably just F NFTX and, and maybe masks and punks within that. Um, yeah, but we'll see. We'll see what's on offer. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite fascinating. I'm, I'm personally, I'm, I'm quite scared of looking at individual NFTs because I, I've never looked at collectibles in my entire life. So I just, I don't understand them like i understand the the scarcity element but i don't have the collector's mindset of like being able to look at something that doesn't like doesn't come come across as as special or, or fascinating and see something special or fascinating in that so i don't know i think it's it, it is a next cycle phenomenon for me i think i'll i'll probably use use the downtime to kind of do a little bit more research on it. But it's it's really it's a really interesting kind of space. And I think it's it's so niche, but you have so much hype associated with it that it's driving massive price appreciation. And I know a lot of people have been talking about how punks and socks and masks and autoglyphs and um all of those a different NFTs have these characteristics that make them kind of tier one collectibles that should technically be protected in, in the bear market to, to a certain extent. I'm just, I'm not sure I, I sort of see it like that from, from my perspective. I think that particular space is still very speculative. The, the, the other side of that coin though is that a lot of people who are buying that stuff don't necessarily care about the financial aspects of it, right? So they're more likely to just leave it, forget about it. They're, they're not going to look, look look at trying to source liquidity uh, during the bear market. They would just kind of sit on those NFTs. So that's that's a different uh, a different side to this. But it's a fascinating space. But I'm completely lost at, uh, at it. So that's why we sort of trying to launch the metaverse index to try to tap into it a little bit for us kind of average investors yeah i mean i explained my theory to you that i think uh it's an opportunity for some ethereum ogs to just throw a load of eth around you know if you got in during the ico then you might have upwards of thousands of eth sitting around basically and um, when you see the prices on some of these things it's just a bit of a, a contest between those with lots of eth and, and those who've got lots of real world money who are coming in to try and pick this stuff up um, like I think Chamath Polyapatia has been telling people that he's buying stuff. Um, and so the best advice I've seen is probably from DC Investor, although he seems to be pretty wrapped up in, in the hype as well. But he said, you can just buy stuff that you like. 
and if if it's at a value that you're willing to pay for it then that's what art is for it's for that for you to appreciate it so i think the, the main problem is and this is probably just because i can't afford half the stuff but um yeah not being able to afford it in the first place means that even if you do like something you can't pick it up so uh, hopefully the metaverse index does go some way to solving that yeah yeah i i agree with you i think uh i've, I've heard quite a few people basically say as it relates to nfts individual nfts like put in what you what you can afford to lose right which is funny because that's the exact advice we were getting in 2017 about crypto as a whole right like basically put in what you can afford to lose and now i think no one no one is going to tell you that about bitcoin or or ethereum right because i think it's been proven to a certain extent but we sort of start getting this advice a little bit further out the risk curve um, about some of these more speculative asset classes within crypto. Yep. Well, we just have to see how it how it all turns out. Like I say, I didn't manage to get my bull run, babe. So I kind of felt a bit a bit of relief around that. It means I don't have to worry about what the price does now. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, so yeah, I think that about wraps everything up for this week. No, I think that wraps it up. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you guys next week. Cheers, guys.